to ask your blessings. Madonna uh, Prabhu, it's nice having you here. Do some. <clears throat> so I'll just repeat the verse one more time. Diti said, it is very good that my sons will be magnanimously killed by the arms of the personality of Godhead with the Sudarshan weapon. <clears throat> oh, my husband, may they never be killed by the wrath of the Brahmana devotees. As you can just imagine, this is like the beginning of the progenitors' time. Um, sons of, or children of Daksha Pajapati. And uh, they're to populate the earth. And of course, the first age in the Vedic time cycle is Satya Yuga. So this is a time where truthfulness, austerity, mercy, cleanliness, the four limbs of religion were especially strong, fully potent. So these were great uh, advanced souls in, in terms of higher consciousness within the, the material energy, a very pious. Um, if you remember earlier in the chapter, uh, when Kashyapa Muni was speaking to his, his wife, Diti, he was saying, Lord Shiva is, is here watching us, and it's not the proper time. And there's all kinds of ghostly living entities that are around at this particular time, ready to enter into a womb. Is this, is this um, all of this, is this happening on Earth or in as, hard, as far as, our, as, as much as I know, it's happening here. <clears throat> and so you can see that they're very conscious that, you know, first of all, they fully believe in higher authorities within the universe. Uh, they know that there's consequences to actions. Um, and they're also very strong. They're very uh, morally strong people. I mean, Kashyapa Muni, that's what he does. He's a, a true Brahmin in the true sense. That's what he performs sacrifices and he, he worships the Lord. One of the key activities of a Brahmin is worshiping, glorifying the Lord, and teaching others about the glories of the Lord. Yet, they couldn't even wait. Kashyapa Muni said, just wait a few moments. Just wait a few moments. <laughs> So, this is the force of the material energy. Arjuna says, to Krishna, the mind is very difficult to control. And Krishna says, indeed it is. It's more difficult to control than the wind. And so I was looking at it, and I don't know how accurate this is, but supposedly um, a train is about average train maybe 5,000 tons. So if you can imagine a train coming down a train track towards you, and even if it's going slowly, you try to put your hands up to stop that train, that 5,000 tons of steel and, and force. So you put your hands there with great determination and uh, feelings of strength and power that I can I can overcome 
I can hold this chain back. Oh, there's my good boy right there. But what, what chance do we actually have to stop that train? What chance? Zero to none. Or, or, or in the ocean, we have experience, the waves are coming, right? And sometimes we feel strong. I can, I can hold my ground. So one wave hits you, you hold your ground. Okay, I'm firmly rooted in this ever-shifting sand. The next wave hits you. You kind of get pushed back a little bit. How long are you going to be able to hold your ground? Not very long. So, this is Satya Yuga. These are great sages. The four legs of religion are, are fully present. And Kashyapa Muni, indeed, cannot wait a few moments. <laughs> they can't wait a few moments. This means that what chance do we have in Kali Yuga? Where almost the four legs of religion are almost completely absent. They're conspicuous by their absence, completely. And there's souls who have to experience particular um, environments within this world, and they're waiting to take birth. And so in Kali Yuga, because everything is inauspicious, the timing is always wrong, things are done completely opposite of the plan of God, then these souls who um, are greatly fallen, they take their birth in Kali Yuga. Um, so the point of bringing these points up is not to discourage or to become despondent. But the fact is, is that um, Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Prakriti Kriyamanani Gunai Karmani the spirit soul is bewildered by the illusory energy, thinking that he, thinking that he can control, thinking that he can actually manipulate the material energy, or, or, or stop the material energy, or overcome the material energy. And he's the doer. He thinks kartaham. He thinks I am the doer. In his mind, he thinks that. But actually, it's just carried out by the modes of nature. The modes of nature are acting, and we're being pulled, we're being pushed by them. These forces, we've all experienced this. It's actually um, said that there's etiquette in Vedic culture about how we do things, that we should always eat when we sit down when we eat. That's proper etiquette. But I find myself often, if I, if I have a large appetite, I'll find myself not even be able, being able to wait till I sit down. Does that ever happen? Yes. Yeah. You know the saying that goes with that? The, uh, why why you should be sitting down? Please, yeah. Explain. They said that um, Yamaraj, when one is eating, standing up, he's looking over the, over your shoulder, waiting for it. Have you heard that yeah, before? Yeah. No. Yes, yes. Why do we do that? <laughs> You've not heard that, that before? The death is looking over your shoulder if you're eating, standing up? Why is that? There's always a reason. It doesn't sound, it just sounds goofy. Yeah. You said he's waiting for it. No, it, it's... Well, what's the reason? Why is he looking at I've heard that before. Because everything's yeah. temporary in this world, so it's 
So because you're, it's like, um, this is the world of death. This is Marchaloka, where everything is temporary. And so what does standing up eating have to do with that? In other words, there's a reason behind this. Yes. I think, yeah, I think Suresh Prabhu is, is bringing out a point that, like, um, to express, you know, the reason why these things are there. How's just a better reason why? I just remember, that's I just know the devotees told me the superstitions. Well. There's some yeah. more science, scientific reason behind it. Right. That's what we have to know. Otherwise, yeah. we just sound weird. Yeah. And I, I don't know either. I have heard that before, Vidanga Prabhu. Um, but I do know Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita that one who eats without offering it to Krishna is eating uh, sin. Which is any, everything actually that we do without. Um, not in relationship to Krishna is sinful. That's the definition of sin. So in that sense, um, and etiquette is important. Um, but then, of course, in the Bhagavatam it says, Dharma Svadhisthita Humsam Vishvakshina Kata Sivha Yadivati So it doesn't matter, you know, if, if we follow the, the full etiquette practices. Um, and we're completely in line with the Varnashram system. If it doesn't rise us to the platform of, of loving devotion to Krishna, then it doesn't do anything substantial for us. Um, yet, as uh, Srisha Prabhu he was discussing on Sunday, that it's, it's a springboard for spiritual consciousness. It's easier to be Krishna conscious when, when we are in a peaceful, uh, sadhik environment, um, devoid of. Um, motive, passion, ignorance. Um, okay, so so this chapter, this this was the main essence that I derived from this chapter is that you know these great sages they can't control their senses for a few moments. Um, they're being forced by the modes of nature. What chance do we have? So actually, everything in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, uh, one, I remember a class Srirangapati gave. He was talking about superlatives. Well, actually, in Krishna consciousness, you can say, this is the best verse, or this is the best chapter, or this is the greatest devotee, and it can all be true. Um, of course, objectively, some things are higher, like, for instance, relationship to Krishna and, 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 and um, the Madhurya, conjugal ras, is objectively higher than the other relationships. But still, um, everything is wonderful in Krishna consciousness, that's the point. Everything is elevated. And so this one particular verse in Bhagavad Gita that I find to be most important is that we may be, we're embodied and we're trying to restrain the senses, but in order to actually be able to do that, we need a higher taste. And this higher taste comes from being absorbed in Krishna, and there's this beautiful um, phrase by Srila Prabhupada, where he says, seeing the arms of the Lord is su sufficient for liberation in and of itself. <clears throat> so the beauty of the arms of the Lord. Um, the Lord is said to have uh, beautiful armlets and, and beautiful wristbands. Um, and Rupa Goswami, he says that somebody, actually it's the arms of the Lord, the hands of the Lord are compared to a black snake. So it's just like if, if somebody's bitten by a poisonous serpent, they cannot survive. When somebody touched by the hand of the Lord, they, they cannot survive. Um, they, they, they lose 
their material in like a material consciousness. They they give up uh, attraction to this material world. And they're touched by the hand of the Lord. So I like to do a little meditation on, uh, on the body of the Lord. And I printed out some analogies. Of course, analogies on the body of the Lord are simply a very vague reflection of, of the actual beauty of Krishna. We can't actually comprehend the beauty of Krishna unless we to see the Lord and we get realization of that beauty. Krishna reveals himself to us. So I'd like to just <clears throat> briefly show you some of these pictures that are, anal are analogous by the Acharyas, those who um, have had realization of the beauty of the Lord, to describe the Lord's beauty. So this is a sesame flower. This sesame flower is said to be like the nose of the Lord. And also the nose of the Lord is compared to the beak of Garuda, the king of the birds. Krishna also has beautiful um, black eyebrows and they move playfully. They're, they raise and move playfully um, when he's exchanging love with his associates. It's compared to a bow. See the bow there? And this black cloud here, this is compared to the hair of Krishna. Krishna has beautiful black locks and what decorates the Lord's forehead, his broad, beautiful forehead, are these black locks of hair. And also, um, very gorgeous tilak. And it's said that when one meditates on the tilak of the Lord, he loses all fear. This rainbow here, as compared to the peacock feather in Krishna's hair, in his crown, which has seven colors, and the peacock feather also has seven colors. Um, and also sometimes compared to lightning. So you have like the black cloud of his hair, and then you have lightning, which is the peacock feather, or the rainbow. And these moons here, moons are compared to his very brilliant, dazzling face. Also, his, his glance, his eyes are said to be cooling like the moon. His toenails are also said to be like the moon. And his cheeks are also like the moon. But it said his face, the opulence, beauty of his face is like thousands of moons. That's why there's many moons here. It's really hard to see the top two pictures, what they, what they are. I know one's a sesame flower. Yeah. I'll pass it around afterwards. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is just to help a little bit. <laughs> so this lotus petal, the lotus petal is said to be like the beautiful eyes of the Lord. And actually, his hips are described like a lotus flower. And they're said to charm the three worlds. And his navel is like the champa flower. Very beautiful. And the trunk of the plantain tree is said to be like his thighs. And he also wears a beautiful pearl necklace. <coughs> and those pearls are said to be like doves flying in the sky because Krishna's body is bluish. So they're like doves in the sky. And his fingers are very delicate. They're like vines. And here's his arms as described, like the black snake. 
So his body is said to be um, as soft as butter. Very, very soft. Also it's described like the, the small leaf on the tamal tree. It's, if you feel the, the leaf on the tamal tree, it's extremely soft. And actually we have a tamal tree over here by the ashram. If you've ever felt those little leaves, it's very like velvety. It's like almost like silk. His body is also said to be like a blue mountain, a nila chala. And his bodily color is also compared to oftentimes a tamal tree. This is a tamal tree here in Vrindavan. And his neck is said to be like a conch shell. There's three lines, and it's very delicate, very beautiful, very enchanting. And he has three lines on his stomach. And those are said to be like waves of the ocean. And his teeth are said to be very fine. They're like jasmine buds. See the jasmine buds here? And his toenails are said to be like the stars. And you can see he has different decorations, different auspicious symbols on his feet and on his hands. So who can name any Symbols from his feet. Okay, let's see if you're right. Okay, Kamshel is right. And lightning bolt is... Let's see. I don't see the lightning bolt here. Maybe an elephant? Um, a rod for controlling the elephant. Okay. Yeah, it's on his feet. Anything else on his feet? Flag, that's, that's correct. Is there an umbrella hmm? Is there an umbrella there? Yes. <laughs> parasol. Oh. oh, parasol for the sun. Anything else? Flower spot? Yeah, that's correct. A swastika? Is a swastika there? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is an auspicious symbol stolen by um, the Nazis. So, well, they inverted it. Oh, they, they changed it around. Yeah, it's right. Is a disc? Half moon? Disc, yeah. Octagon? Triangle? Barley corn? <laughs> Sky? Water pot? Cow's footprint? Bow and jambu fruit. Oh, Does anybody know what jambu fruit is? Is that native to India? I'm not sure exactly. Jambu? Yeah. Not jackfruit. Jambu. It says jambu fruit. Jambu. So on his hands, it's a club, conch shell, barley corn, parasol, half moon, rod, flag, lotus flower, sacrificial post, plow, pitcher, and fish. So also he has these ankle bells on his ankles, and his feet are pinkish, just like his hands are pinkish and his lips are pinkish. Um, it's said to be like the hue of, of a rose, actually. And his feet are said to be oceans filled with the happiness of pure love. And 
his toes are reddish. So these are Vajjayanti flowers. And he said to wear a garland of Vajjayanti flowers that goes to his knees, which are extremely fragrant. He also has fragrant oils that decorate his, bodies, his body, which is intoxicating. So here's a picture of Krishna here. He has a, a yellow silken dhoti. And then his right side, he has his flute stuck into his dhoti, on this side. And then on his left shoulder, he carries the bugle. So his handsome chest longs to enjoy the company of the beautiful gopis. His charming ears decorated with jeweled earrings. And he has forest flowers in his ears. But really, there's actually unlimited analogies to describe the beauty of the Lord. This is just a little glimpse into Krishna's beauty from what we can understand. But um, the nectar of sweetness that comes from Krishna is unlimited. He's actually the source of all beauty, um, all opulence. So it's interesting here because this verse is also talking about how Diti, she saw this as a blessing, actually. Um, Kasyapamuni was giving her the bad news about these very, very um, wicked living entities, these demons that were going to be born into her womb. And she listened very patiently, and ultimately she accepted. And, but then there was a silver lining to it, that a grandson would be a devotee. And so this is very instructive, the way that she took this bad news. And she saw the good in it. Because actually everything that the Lord does, because it said that now a blade of grass moves without the consent of the Supreme Lord. So actually everything the Lord does in our life, um, there's, it's a blessing, actually. There's a silver lining. There is good, there is a reason for it. So in that sense, a devotee sees everything as the Lord's blessing. Because the Lord would not allow difficulty in our life, would not allow suffering in our life, if it wasn't absolutely necessary. He wouldn't allow it. Actually, the Lord is known to always diminish suffering. It's like it's been described that the Lord, He actually can't, He can't stomach the suffering of His devotees. He can't handle the anxiety of his devotees. That's why he comes. That's why he sends his representatives. So the original sin is turning away from Krishna. And Krishna, based on the fact that he will always love us, will never abandon us, he's always there, either personally, through his words, through his instructions, through his devotees, he's always there to bring us back. And so these two, um, at first, especially you know, Kasyapa Muni, he's blaming Diti, and Diti might be feeling some blame towards him. So this happens in the world. We blame each other. I blame you for my difficulties, for my suffering, and you blame me. But then when we turn to the Lord, when we turn to Krishna, then we stop that, that silliness. Because actually, as we were describing, the material energy is very powerful. These great sages, they can't wait a few moments. They're pulled by this material energy. 
So Krishna says the Bhagavad Gita, the only way to come to overcome it is to surrender unto the Lord, to gain this higher taste. And we are, we are speaking about to be able to absorb the Lord in this Cheto Darpana Marjana, chanting the holy names of the Lord. Although we are, this world is this Kaliyuk that's inauspicious, although it's all the links of Dharma are broken, although there is otherwise no opportunity for our escape, the Lord gives us this simple, sublime process of chanting and dancing and just being in bliss in these sacred holy names. Cheto Darpana Marjana, cleansing the heart, allowing us to be attracted to these features of the Lord. Through chanting, the features of the Lord are revealed to us. They're always there, but Krishna reveals his beauty. His qualities, we, we begin to learn about his qualities. So we learn, and then we begin to actually experience it deep within, that wow, Krishna does have these qualities. Krishna is very merciful, very compassionate. Krishna is hurt seeing the living entities suffering. He absolutely cannot stand it. He doesn't like it. That's why he's always trying to bring us back to our true um, constitutional position of happiness, which is intrinsic to who we are. So Rana Swami, he was giving some examples of what well, we may take something as a blessing or a curse, um, but actually it depends on our perspective, what's a blessing and what's a curse. So he said that he, he grew up with these two boys and they ended up inheriting like millions of dollars, incredibly wealthy inheritance. And um, one of them, you know, bought a large house, um, built a, uh, an airport in his backyard, <laughs> the private jet. And so he had a, a beautiful family, and this one went on for 30, 30 years. And then his wife divorced him. And then she, um, in court, got everything that he owned. Took everything that he owned. So he ended up living in, you know, like a little simple little apartment. The other one, he decided that he wanted to quickly triple his wealth. So he decided he wanted to um, do some black market um, drug business. So he had it all set up to purchase cocaine or whatever it was. And he got caught and he got put in prison. And he, Ranaswami was saying, till this day he's still in prison. So was that a blessing? The, the point about this is, is that everything that we may receive in this world that isn't connected to Krishna, which may seem like a blessing, ultimately ends in disease, old age, and death. This is an example within the material energy that we can um, envision. But this relates to everything in this world. Um, Maharaj, he was also, Ramaswami Maharaj, he was also talking about a Prabhupada. He was in an Indian train car and some man was coming in. Prabhupada was busy writing something or doing something. And this man, he kept on coming in and bothering Prabhupada and saying, Prabhupada, oh, Swamiji, please give me your blessings. Please give me your blessings. And then finally, Srila Prabhupada said, he said, okay, 
I bless you to be free from all material attachment. And then the man said, no, 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 Swamiji, not that kind of blessing. (laughs) (laughs) Papa said, no, it's already done. (laughs) So, yeah, so this is my realization on, on this particular section. This is my first time giving class on this section because we are doing um, other seminars and things, other um, presentations. So um, this is my personal realization that until I have full absorption and, and Krishna's beauty, his charm, um, until I, I, I taste the, the sweet bliss of Krishna consciousness uh, deep within, then the material energy is always going to be pulling us uh, we've actually been uh, plucked out. We've been plucked out and, and set on firm ground by Shri Prabhupada. If we can simply remain, so it's described on this boat, this transcendental boat of Krishna consciousness, then we can be protected. We can have strong relationships. We can receive the blessings of the Lord. I also, I was, um, I was going. I meant to tell a little story. We had two little boys. Uh, my stepson Charlie, he's eleven. And his friend, who is, how old is he? 11, 10 or 11, yeah. So they they don't consider themselves devotees. Charlie knows a little bit about Krishna, of course. Uh, a lot about Krishna. <laughs> but he, he doesn't, he considers himself, you know, a Christian. And his little friend, so they're playing on my computer in my room. And the screen went down at a certain point, because it was time to go. And there's these beautiful pictures of Radha that Shanko Paul took. And the boys are literally like mesmerized by this picture. And they didn't say they were. They pretended to just be playing on the screen. So they're using the mouse and they're drawing lines between them. They're playing all these games. It's like the tears coming now. Now this is a connection between them. Literally, I, I promise you, it was like 10 or 15 minutes this went on. They couldn't take their eyes off of this picture. So we were amazed and just realizing that this attraction to Krishna is intrinsic to who we are. There's so many things beautiful in this world, but what can hold a little boy's attention? Especially, you know, in this day and age where there's no attention span. But they wouldn't, they didn't want to leave. <laughs> they just kept on sitting there. So this is this is actually the, the solution. Um, the solution isn't to, to blame or to try to forcibly stop. We have to really go deep into Krishna consciousness. And the way to really get a taste is by pleasing the devotees. And it's really interesting that statement where Krishna says, those who say they are my devotees are not my devotees. Those who say they are the devotees of my devotees, they are actually my devotees. Now really think about what that means. That means somebody says, I'm a devotee of Krishna. Krishna says no. Like, in other words, to be a devotee of Krishna, we have to become servant of the servant of Krishna. That is the way that we attain Krishna. It's a relationship, and the relationship has to be molded according to the desires of the Beloved. Especially the Purusha, we're, we're the property. 
And the Purusha has desired the Prakriti in order to be fulfilled, must satisfy that desire. So this is the way to approach the Lord. So this is very immediate. You know, sometimes we may think I've uh, received a position, uh, I've received uh, Diksha initiation, I have a name, uh, I'm within a society, I have a, an identity. But unless we develop, maintain, and grow that relationship through pleasing the servants of the servants in our immediate environment, then we're not making advancement. That's the way to advance. It's happening right amongst us, right with the devotees that we're serving. How can we please our Guru Maharaj? Say our Guru Maharaj, say for instance, Giri Swami. He's on the other side of the planet. I don't know if he is or not. He could be. And, but Ananta Prabhu, by serving Mother Sandamani very nicely, by pleasing the devotees here, Giri Swami is pleased. Isn't that true? Yes, maybe. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. That's true. Giriraj Maharaj would be extremely pleased. And then Giriraj Maharaj is pleased, then Prabhupada is pleased. And if Prabhupada is pleased, then the Acharyas are pleased. And if the Acharyas are pleased, then Lord Chaitanya is pleased. If Lord Chaitanya is pleased, then our life is successful. So it's happening right here. And the relationship we were discussing recently is like a stream. And in that stream, sometimes there's difficulties and sometimes there's good times, sometimes there's bad times. But the point is, is to always develop that relationship. To always nourish that relationship. Relationship means always nourishing. It doesn't mean uh, I've done I've done my part, and now it's over. It means it's a constant nourishment. Like, in other words, I could please um, the devotees in one instance, and the next instance I could commit an offense. Right? So then I have to rectify that offense. So giving pleasure, which is our nature, is a constant practice. And that's what we're trying to do. And being with devotees, is um, very purifying. Uh, we can gain all the Vaishnav qualities through associating with the devotees. Um, actually, real true Krishna consciousness, bhakti, love of God, comes through the heart of devotees. So we're rubbing, there's rubbing off on us. You know, we're, we're gaining that, that affection for the Lord through our mutual affection, which is arising from the core of the essence of who we are as loving servants of Krishna. It's like those two little boys. So do you all have any feedback or questions? Or... Thank you. That's great. Like, I like how you describe it. Did you get that from the... I just, um, no, I just found the pictures because I was reading the descriptions yeah. and I just put them on the board. Oh, very nice. Yeah, if you want, you can look at them. Let's see. You think it's Well, this, I was just thinking when you, know, you asked about if uh, you're pleasing Sandami and Giriraj is pleasing. The way that works because it's what I like to call a super soul network. Chris mm. is in everybody's heart. Yeah. So, what is it? Yes, and Trishte Gagat Trishta. 
So Krishna is satisfied. Well, when Krishna is satisfied, everyone's satisfied. And when, and when we're doing our part, then Krishna mystically puts that beyond. That's how Prabhupada always knew where everybody was at. <laughs> you know, whether they were a devotee, not a devotee, whatever. He could read motives because he was directly in touch with the wonders in our heart. So Prabhupada. He was in, oh, he had an infallible intuition because he was in touch with Krishna. Yeah. So Thank you. Yeah. Transparent being medium like you were talking about. Yeah. Um, I'd like to end, I, I forgot, there's a few little meditations on Krishna that I forgot to mention. Um, Krishna's lips are said to be extremely sweet. And if one meditates on his upper lip, one uh, develops affection for the Lord. And if one meditates on his lower lip, one develops greed to obtain the Lord. And if one meditates on his eyebrows, then one becomes free from material lust. Krishna is all purified. So this particular section is describing the auspiciousness of Diti's sons being killed by the Lord. So because everything that comes in touch with Krishna is purified, everything is auspicious in contact with the Lord. Even if one approaches Krishna with with hatred or or um, envy even, but like a, if somebody approaches the Lord, they put their attention towards the Lord. Although they might not attain this, the spiritual world, they might not attain direct association with the Lord, but they become purified by approaching the Lord. In other words, someone, somebody, somehow or other, someone fixes their attention on the Lord, they get purified. Is this Rukta Goswami and all these different meditations? I got it. Well, this kind of desire tree um, was giving a reference, and some of them are from Brahma Samhita, mm -hmm. um, some are from I think Rupa Goswami, mm -hmm. and uh, so I, I don't yeah. know the exact. And then there's, you know, in the Nectar Devotion, there's, yeah, there's a lot of meditations on Krishna. Yeah. yeah. So um, there seems to be a there. It's if we look back at the translation to the verse. Your class was on um, serving the devotees of the Lord, and that there's more, there's more potency in serving, being a servant of the servant, serving the devotees of the Lord than actually serving the Lord Himself. But here, Didi's saying that um, it's very good that her sons are magnanimously killed by the arms of Krishna with his Sudarshan chakra, but. Then she says, Oh, my husband, may they never be killed by the wrath of the Brahmana devotees. But if the devotees are the, if the Brahmana devotees, is that referring to the Brahmana devotees of the Lord? And if they're so special to the Lord, why wouldn't their, their wrath also be blessed? Or is that just something that she's not realized? Well, the thing is, is that Krishna never takes offense. But he does take offense when his devotees um, are, are offended, are hurt. So, um, in that particular case, like generally also the Brahmins are very tolerant. But sometimes they get angry for the sake of protection. So in other words, if the Brahmins get angry, it's because other people have been offended or hurt. So like for instance, when, when the Brahmanas, uh, if you remember in Bhagavatam, when they killed, um, what was the name of the person the Brahmanas killed? Like he was Vena, they killed Vena. So generally, it's described there that the Brahmanas are, are very pacified, they're very peaceful. 
But because he was such a demon, he was causing so much distress to the society, the Brahmins became angry and killed him. That's very inauspicious. Because the Lord takes offense when the devotees are offended. Um, Krishna's body is, is, is Satyadananda Vigraha. It's completely pure. And so if you remember when, when they were trying to determine, Virgo Muni was trying to determine uh, who was the greatest, Brahma, Shiva, or Vishnu. And when he kicked the chest of the Lord, the Lord said, oh, you bless me. Like that. So, um, so it was different. It's different. Um, like the curse of a Brahmana is very, very powerful. Because the Brahmanas are, are supposed to be the heads of society. So if persons don't follow the Brahmanas, that's very bad for them. And they're causing it, they're deviating, they're causing a deviance in society. So that means the whole society is moving in a path of, of destruction, of very inauspiciousness. Um, okay. Thank you. And is there is there some context back background to this particular verse that could could uh, we, that we could maybe understand why um, why she's she's expressing herself in that particular way? Yeah. So Kashyapa Muni is telling her what's going to happen. So actually, it's funny. It's interesting because she says, "Oh, this is wonderful that uh, he's going to be killed by the Lord, or they're going to be killed by the Lord." But we'll see further on. It's even more wonderful than that. That a devotee is going to take birth. That's yeah, even that's more wonderful. Because she originally was wanting her children protected right, from the right. wrath of Shiva. Yeah. But now, oh, this is great. In my line, there's going to be a super devotee. That's worth everything. And you can see how everything is connected. Like Krishna says, 10 generations forward and backwards will be liberated. Mm -hmm. It's all very connected, it's all very localized. Like, this is the most, and she has a realization of this. This is so auspicious. Devotee is going to be born. Great devotee is going to be born. Like, see how auspicious that is to come into contact with one's going to be liberated. Yeah. So, is that okay? So, we, we know there's Mother Aditi and Mother Aditi, right? There's two of them, right? Yeah, so they're sisters. Right? Yeah, and one of them gives birth to the demons, and one of them gives birth to the devas. devas. Yeah. So, this one's. This is Diti, she's the one that gives gives birth to the yeah. demons. Yeah. And they're gonna be killed by the Supreme Lord. Good deal. Right? Good deal. Huh? Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. But she 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 has such good qualities too. You see how she accepted this. Yeah. See how she took she said, This is a blessing. I did she didn't argue. She wasn't saying I don't deserve. She was saying I do deserve this. That's when Kesha was no changes. Yeah. She's condemning her. And then oh this is very nice. Because you have faith in, in Lord Shiva and me, and ultimately the Supreme Lord, you're going to have a great, I can see you're going to have a great devotee in your mind. Yeah. Okay. 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 Okay